0: Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice. Hello and welcome to another podcast this afternoon. Today I've got Stuart Somerville with me. He's a man who has worked in the military and in intelligence for over 20 years and he's visited locations such as Northern Ireland, Bosnia, Sierra Leone, Afghanistan, Iraq and also disaster areas such as Pakistan and Nepal after the earthquakes there. He also comes to us with a PhD in Human Behavioural Economics, a Masters in Behavioural Therapy and he's worked with people who have suffered significant trauma and has also got a wealth of experience in stress work. Now I've asked Stuart to talk to us today because a number of us are struggling. We know that we're facing something really big and really uncertain. We're hearing from colleagues in Italy and China that their health services are being overwhelmed. And that they have numbers of people dying on a scale that has just been unimaginable in peacetime. Now we're used to working in the NHS and arguably it's underfunded and overstretched and has been for some time. So we're used to working in difficult situations but nevertheless this feels like something on a scale that we're not used to and we're left with a sense of impending doom. We don't quite know what's coming or when or what will be asked of us and it's a really tense and difficult waiting period. So I've asked if Stuart could come and talk to us today and share some of his wisdom around perhaps what he's been like when he's known that he's going somewhere really, really hard, and also what he's learned from those experiences. So welcome, Stuart, and um, and where would Thank you like you. to start?
1: <laughs> I think um, what's quite useful is the thing, the things we did. I did with my teams, and I had big teams working for me at times about what you do when you're going somewhere that I that working out what's going to happen and what that feels like as you're waiting to go and what it's like when you're actually there, actually the things you've got to think about are pretty similar and the way you deal with that are pretty similar. So if I talk through a model that I used to think I, uh, I intentionally thought about as I deployed my people and worked with my people to help them deal with uncertainty, to deal with the, the stress and the fluid nature of things and the the, the internal external storms that go on around them is an each individual and each group and each organization dealt with those things differently but there was some there were some things that were common that i used to work with my teams and i'm confident we were successful in doing so and so would that be useful if i sort of talked through those Sort of yep. headlines of things.
0: Absolutely. I so
1: think- perfect. So I think I, I've seen in the last, say, week or so, a lots of what I would call death side academics and psychologists and pretend psychologists coming out with some pretty useful lists in some ways. But a, a lot of the stuff people haven't got time to do, or those people haven't been in those stressful situations, they don't understand that some of this is just practical. You've got to get on and do some things because there's some things that just need to happen and if they don't happen uh, then you actually create more and more stress further down the line as you deal as you get towards the operation or in your case uh, the things that may or may not come at you in in your region is the first thing we we were i was always really key with my people was to try and get control of the things that were controllable now those that People talk about uncontrollables and controllables all the time. But uh, if I give you one example, in Afghanistan, we planned for something for a long period, three weeks, uh, for a really big piece of uh, an operation that we were going to send operators out for. And at the last minute, and I mean the very last minute when they were going out they were getting loaded onto the helicopters, the intelligence changed and we had to stop. And at that point, it felt you'd been working at something. And then suddenly it had all undone, and we had to change direction very, very quickly and do something we hadn't planned for. That, that what we was in key though, was to understand the things we'd done in the build up that were important. Control them, keep control of elements of it, and start to work with the teams to give them control again at a point where they were feeling off balance, and they'd been preparing for that for what was quite a dangerous operation they'd been building up they'd been getting their kit ready they'd been on the line as they come off the other side of that can be really deflated but we had to get them going again we had to get them ready to do the next thing which we were going to do within a few hours so it was about giving them sense of control over the things they could control and we worked really hard with our teams to talk about right what can you control uh And to get them to understand that at times we would look like we didn't know what we were doing. Uh, It would look like we were out of control. But actually we were reacting to a changing environment in which we had very little control of. Mm. It just, what was going to happen, happened, uh, particularly with the people in Afghanistan and Iraq. They were so unpredictable that you were just dealing with whatever came in front of you at that moment and you had to learn to say, well what now is a reality. What can I control now? If I've made mistakes in the past, I'll let go of them, but I'm gonna learn some lessons from them, but I can't spend my life looking at what's gone and what we got wrong. And I can only take a view of the future. I can't be absolutely certain of what that looks like. And we we try to get people to understand regularly regular briefings that actually this the only thing we know is this um and what are the things that you know and so and then that was sort of recognizing that there are uh, there's an external storm if you can imagine this in your case is the virus but in our case was uh, the taliban or aqa or whoever we were dealing with at that moment was we can't control them That's an external storm of which that you are affected by it. Um, You can try and gain more understanding of them. You can try and uh, gain uh, some foothold in their world to get a view of it so you can understand it, but you can't change it. Then you've got your organizational group, -group, intergroup relationships. So it can become another storm. So we had to work across multiple teams. Each of those teams would see themselves as elite and uh, as the, the most important. But we had to build groups across those, across the people that work for us, because we needed them to work together, to share operations, to share resources, to share uh, understanding. We couldn't have them operating in silos because we'd lose effect. So, But they didn't naturally work across each other. They weren't They weren't set up to do that. They'd been built over many decades to operate as perfect units. But now we wanted them to operate in a, a holistic way, a, a sharing information. That didn't mean they didn't go out. When it came down to it, they didn't operate as a unit. But to be effective at that scale, we needed a thing called Teams of Teams, which we developed around a thing called uh, General Stanley and McChrystal, particularly in Iraq, use this. The idea of sharing resource, sharing information, and get, seeing the benefit of a wider system, the ecosystem that sits across the top of it, but, um, and each part understanding the, pl- the, pl- the part they played. So some units would get desperately worried that they didn't feel they were playing a really a serious enough part because we'd be asking them to do some other bits and pieces, whilst other units, they felt, were doing the big, they were doing the heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were we were look, but as a whole, we were having an effect. We had to manage the whole effect, not the individuals. And, but we needed to all of them to see the part they played and that, they, to a degree, they were all doing heavy lifting. And lastly, recognising that each individual is reacting to this differently. Some people are coming, going in. Some people are externalizing that. But also, we can we when there's uncertainty, you don't know what other uncertainties those individuals have in their lives. Mm. So you can you you you're seeing the uncertainty that you're placing on them in this operational context. But also, they have family uncertainties. They've got global uncertainties, money uncertainties. And in that case, it wasn't global as you're dealing with. You're dealing with something that's got a layers to it. It's people's families, it's security, it's safety, it's freedoms. The things that we naturally uh, have in this country are being uh, are under some pressure. Mm. But e- even in those environments where it wasn't as severe as this, um, the, the men and women that worked for me had pressures we didn't understand. Mm. Um, and so it was about saying to them, what can you control in those environments so that you are can bring, when you need to, the best of you yourself to this and you can focus on what you need to focus on. Why that's important is I think the next thing we talked a lot about was acknowledgement. Is So if you've got control of the controllables and you recognise what you can't, is acknowledging how you feel and what's going on and having people you can talk to. Um, but we used to spend a lot of time because what you you can find is you have people that can see the world very negatively, um, and they can suck the life out of conversations. And people start to avoid them because actually, when you're under a lot of pressure and there's a lot of uncertainty, you've got enough load to carry yourself. That if somebody else keeps offloading that onto you, you start to ignore them. Equally, if somebody's too positive, what st- what we tended to find is that people then sort of said well, they can't see how bad this is. That they're, they're being blindly optimistic. And so it's understanding a balance of those conversations when you're having them with other people are actually important. Is recognising when you're being overly negative and recognising when you're being overly positive to try and balance your conversations out.
0: That's and, um, uh, we had a different analogy, which is uh, my husband and I about uh, having a baby and how hard that was going to be. Um, and I had been talking to people, and they said it was going to be really hard. So I was saying it's going to be really, really hard to my husband, and he's a sunny optimist. So he said to me, it "Can't be that hard. We've we've got you know enough degrees between us. It, it won't be that hard." And the more he said to me, "It's not going to be that hard," the more I said to him, "It's going to be really hard." And eventually, we had to have a conversation where we agreed it was probably going to be quite hard. We didn't know again how hard it was going to be, and we didn't know which baby we were going to get. Um, um, you know, given as all babies are unique, um, but we would manage it. And then we agreed that we could both come back to a slightly more middle position. Um, so I think those conversations, yeah, they, I've seen that positioning before.
1: Yeah, and I think it's so important. And um, But you have to think about it. You have to do what you've, you've talked about. You have to be able to come and talk about being overly negative and have those open conversations to understand. Um but you—you've just given a beautiful example of what happens. Is people tend to counteract it. So if they find people that are over positive, they feel they've got to be more negative to try and get that other person to to realise what's really going on. Um, but both are not are not helping. But talking more, and one of the things that we uh we did is do do what we is use a lot more video. So we tried to get people where they were separated by geography. To use video conferencing more mm-hmm. to rehumanize conversations so people could see that the person was under a bit of stress, they could see it more visibly than they could hear it. Um, and we used a ton of bandwidth doing this up but it got deeply we were deeply unpopular. but I was convinced that those face-to-face conversations were really important. so getting people to have the conversations and talk about it, and to acknowledge, look, I'm under I'm under stress at the moment. This is hard. I'm it's un, I'm uncertain about this. I don't know what's going on. How bad's it going to be? Those conversations, I think, they're really important.
0: And I think I think medics struggle potentially with that. We have um, all done pretty brutal rotors during our training, and there is a bit of a mentality that um, that if if it if it doesn't hurt you're probably not working hard enough uh and that's quite hard um and it doesn't nece- it is not necessarily conducive to getting people to come forward and say this, this is hard and it's hurting me and I'm finding it difficult. And I think we're changing that slowly but surely. Um, and we do believe that it is okay to talk um, and that there's a huge power in talking and release in talking. Um, but but I think there's, there's still more work to be done to reach everyone to, to get that level of understanding.
1: So this is, you beautifully segwayed me into the last two points, which is, is actually... Taking time for yourself. I, I read something in, uh, this week, weekend about um, we all should be doing two hours of yoga or something a, a day. Well, in my experience, when I was working the hours we were working, which could be easily 18 hours a day, and we, I was in Afghanistan for nearly two years, is if you do that, you just burn out. You, you, you can't do the long run. But taking time to stop. And if you're the manager, making sure that people get time to stop. If you're the leader. Um, we, are, for, we're doing, we, we took the televisions out with uh, CNN and BBC out of the rec spaces where the guys went to, and girls went to have some downtime and put computer games and videos and films in there just to separate them from the news feed that was constant um, so that they could have a sense of some separation from what was going on. Um, they might go in, in there and talk about it, but that was okay. That was a form of their own therapy, their own talking through their problems, but not having that external driver of look how bad it is. Um, and we worked really hard on making sure people had time off. Um, I certainly did something that was uh, unconventional, mm-hmm. is I gave a, them a day off, a, a rotor of a day off, which was a really rare thing. People got some time off on a Sunday morning, but I, we actually went for a day on a rotor. And however busy it was, we, we stuck to it. And we gave teams days off when we could do it. Uh, that day seemed to be enough to put enough energy back in the bucket, back in the battery, so that they could go again. Uh, and I know that the, the, the operations before I led it and the ones after it lost a lot of people to stress and fatigue. Um, and I'm very proud to say, and I got a thing from a queen for this, but we never lost anyone to fatigue or to stress. Um, because, and I, I, I genuinely think it was that day. It was as simple as that, as giving them time just to recharge rather than pushing and pushing and pushing. But that did mean that when those people were off, other people had to bear that load. And it, but they knew they were going to get some time. Now, remember, we were at this for a long time, So, uh, but there was, a, there was a horrible, maturistic driver in the military and intelligence services to keep going. Uh, you know, we must work 18 hours a day or you're not trying. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's... It was overcoming that sense that you're not working if you're not working these hugely long hours. And that brings me to my really la- my last and which seems to be missed in so much of this pseudo-psychology I see, which is actually people want to do the job. People want to do the thing that's needed to, make, to, to achieve an outcome. And in your case, to work with patients, I would imagine, in my case, to do the operations, Mm -hmm. to prepare, to be right. They want to be involved. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what can happen is, particularly in periods of lull, is people take up what I call hobby projects. They're trying to keep themselves busy so that if their colleagues are working hard, they can be seen to work hard. But they're working on stuff that doesn't need to be done now. And actually, I would have. I was very keen on them feeling like they could have the time to build capacity. And um, the analogy I would use is if you're a substitute in a rugby game or a football game or a hockey game, you don't want the substitutes running up and down the side, tiring themselves out. You want them recharging so when they come on, they can add something to the game. Um, so, But people don't want to do that because they see their colleagues working so hard. They go well. I must work, really be seen to work incredibly hard. Then uh, he's telling them it's okay because you'll be. You'll, I need you to be able to come online when you when we're ready. And um, and these people that have been working really really hard now might actually end up coming off. They might not be needed in the next phase. Build the capacity. It's not just about that being seen to work. It's about working productively in the right areas in the right way but that might seem such an easy thing to say genuinely my experience I see people working harder and harder and harder just to be seen to be working hard because it's a crisis or it's a difficult operation so those were my four things if that's useful
0: yeah they have been really useful and I think that last point is very important again the people we've recruited into the the whole of the NHS We're we're a caring bunch and we want to do a job that isn't necessarily easy or particularly well paid as it could be. And we've chosen to do this and uh, and we like being busy. Um, So I think if we're not busy in a crisis, that brings with it a huge sense of guilt. Um, And as you say, people will probably not quite know what to do with themselves and that will make it even more uncomfortable. Um, but actually that's quite reassuring to hear actually this is okay when you're preparing for stuff it might not be your time there's stuff happening elsewhere and I'm certainly working there's a lot of planning going on at the moment um, certainly for our area of the country things haven't haven't taken off just yet it's building um, but it's okay that we've got capacity in the system at the moment and um, we need that capacity for for when things go up. If we start looking for capacity at that point, we're too late <laughs> because um, we, we need everybody to be, to be ready to come off the benches, as you said. And I think we talked about um, the substitute running up and down and exhausting themselves by just running up and down during the entire match. They, they won't have fresh legs to come on at that point. Um, And that's what we need um, is is that as well. So I think that is really important and and particularly so uh, for medics. Um, And I think also your point about everybody playing their part at different times is, again, can be echoed out across the NHS, um, that we've got commissioners who are trying to organise things, plan things. We've got uh, clinical leads who, again, are trying to step into spaces and, and and organise things that aren't necessarily here yet. Uh, We've got secondary care, primary care, community care, um, all trying to find their place and play their part. And they're all slightly different parts, and their timings may be at slightly different points. But that's okay um, because actually they're all working together as a whole um, for the NHS and all the patients that depend on us day to day. So, thank you so much, Stuart. Was there was there anything else, or other, any other pearls of wisdom that you uh, wanted to impart? Otherwise, I've got a question for you.
1: <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm, I'm afraid I'm all pearls of wisdom out.
0: So I was going to ask you when, when you have been on one of those planes heading out to, start, to one of those war zones that you've mentioned. How, how did you feel on those journeys if you can remember, and, and how did you deal with that sensation?
1: Uh, I think later in life you just got used to it, and I know that's not helpful you now. But uh, and you just listen to a lot of very bad music. um, Is the but I think there's the thing when you first start, and the things that you talk to your people about is to not to overthink it too much. Is concentrate on the things you can deal with now. That you get your kit right, get your stuff, do your own stuff. Concentrate on your family. Do the things that you can do now. Uh, try not to overthink it, because the people that overthink it think they they never think of the future the correctly. It's never like they imagined, and uh, the and therefore by imagining it, you spend you're building up pictures of stuff that don't happen yeah. and never do happen, and um, and so I we always used to spend a lot of time talking to people about do the things that are important now go and spend some time with the family get your stuff correct think about the things you need to put in place if you're going to be really busy you're not going to be able to pay your bills and you're not going to be able to sort your car insurance and you're not going to be able to do the things that just surround your life that are really boring so that was in the weeks and then on the plane that's uh, the. so if you're going to Afghanistan that was a two-day journey because you stopped about halfway in Cyprus uh or you know whatever wherever they you you laid off min had the you it was the first bit was okay. you did get a sense of um some sort of fear or or, or dread or anticipation, whatever anybody's fear was. I was more worried about people that didn't have that than the ones that did. Mm. Uh, I always used to look at the people that didn't and think you're either covering that up. Uh, and uh, you're bottling that up, and that could be a problem for you, or you're not bright enough to realize that this is quite difficult um, and that I always found the brighter you are, the more difficult it seemed to be for people because they could work it out mm-hmm. and um I think that comes down to that acknowledge thing it's okay to be having have some an- anxiety or some fear or some dread or some worries it's okay. That just me that used to point out to me that you had enough emotional intelligence and enough intelligence to work out what we were about to do was hard work. Um, and I think it's separating it into those sort of buckets is do make sure you do all the things that make life easier when you are going to do it, keep yourself busy, but acknowledge it's okay to have some dread,
0: yeah.
1: Um, and be more worried if you haven't got it. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I think that's really helpful to hear, actually. And I hadn't thought of those points about organising the day to day stuff that otherwise it does cause you stress if you haven't organised it. And you're trying to do that at the end of a long shift um, and you're trying to remember it during the day that once you're out of your PPE, you need to write down, I need to do it, sort out the car insurance, etc. Um, it, it adds to your mental burden. So that's a really, um, really good idea. Um, and I think it, it's helpful to say it's all right to feel the dread and it goes back to your earlier point of actually talking about it and sharing that with people um, but in a balanced way um, not not in a mega, majorly negative way but it's okay to, to talk to others um, and in a future podcast then I think we will take an opportunity to go through some of the support um, that is there um, for, for GPs in particular who work in our area we have got some things Um, that we can do Um, but informal networks are okay it's okay to share with your peers as well thank you so much Stuart for your time today that's been really really helpful Um, and we hope to uh, have you again on another podcast soon with us thank you thank you Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice